Welcome to Be The Light Podcast with C.B. Barthlow, lead pastor of Denver Beacon. I am your host, Pastor Ty Morris. Our desire is to lead the lost, the broken, and the hopelessness of our communities, to be light bearers in our city set on a hill. Now tune in for our sermon series. Father, worthy of all dominion and honor and power, you deserve all of our praise, for you are ancient of days. God, we thank you, for you are so holy, you are so righteous. In you there is no iniquity, but only perfection. And yet, through the midst of our imperfection, you condescend to be known by us. You make your presence felt by us. You meet every need. You break every chain. You comfort every heart and dry every tear. You are worthy of all of our breath, all of our walk, and all of our lives. We thank you in Jesus' name. And all that agreed said amen. And amen. Help me thank God for this worship team this morning. What a joy it is to have them. So glad to see you, church. I'm so glad to be back. Chanel and I and the boys were able to take a a little bit of time off uh, earlier this month. And and I'm just grateful for a a, a phenomenal team who gave us an opportunity to rest and and relax. We we, we didn't take every Sunday off uh, our first Sunday on vacation. We We went to a church. In, in Los Angeles, um, uh, a, a pretty cranky church. It was nice, actually. You know me. I was like, this preacher's mean. I love it here. Um, um, and, and it was just a joy for us to be fed, you know, just to be in the room and have, have uh, good word taught over us and, and to worship. The church that we went to actually does hymns instead of worship. And so when they said, please arise for this time of worship, you know, the four of us, we're Beacon members. So we were like, let's do this. And, and they said, turn in your hymnal books to number 217. And my sons were like, what is a hymnal book? <laughs> and it had me thinking, we need to create a beacon hymnal book. Amen. <laughs> Amen. I'm so glad to see you all today and, and so grateful for the opportunity to worship together with you. Just a couple announcements. And uh, I want to share with you one of the cultural distinctives that we've been walking through this spring. And then we'll dive back into our teaching, into the book of Galatians. So first thing, let me share something with you. Over the last several weeks, we've been talking about the seven cultural distinctives, seven ways in which we believe Beacon is uniquely called to be a community of the set-apart ones, the Ecclesiastes. This is what we believe makes us different from the world around us. And I walked through things like joy and honor and honesty, teachability, all of those things. And we're down to our last two tonight. Uh, Today and next week, we'll talk about our final two of the seven. And today, the one I want to share with you, uh, it comes from Psalm 1, verses 1 through 4. It reads like this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, 
nor sits in the seats of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Now watch this. He says, he is like a tree planted by streams of water. He yields his fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. This teaching, the words of God, are a teaching of what it likes to be the kind of son or daughter of God. Who puts your hope and your trust in God? And because of that is made resilient by God. The Bible says that this is a unique blessing for those who make their delight the law of the Lord, meaning we feed on the word of God and live by the word of God. It says if you're that kind of person, you will be like a tree. Some translations say like an oak, strong with deep roots. And no matter the winds of change or the culture of the day, you are unmoved. In fact, your roots grow down so deep that they continue to drink forth rivers of living water that in season you bear much fruit, and even in rough season, your wind, the, your leaves do not wither. And I just don't know about you, but I want to be that kind of Christian. I want to bear much fruit. And even in lean seasons, I don't want to wither. I don't want to wander. It says he'll be prosperous and much. This is what it means here at this church to be resilient. And I believe God's uniquely designed this church to be a place where people become resilient. Now, I'm praying for a new church building, amen, a permanent home. And God is, I think, coming on the way with that, amen. But he's allowing us, by his great grace and patience, to be a load-in, load-out church, amen. And for those of you who don't yet serve on the load-in or load-out team, uh, it's making many of us very resilient. Amen. Sometimes God does it through spiritual means, and sometimes he uses natural situations to make us resilient. But we want to be the kind of church that is resilient. Amen. And here's the unique thing that we'll do when God makes us resilient on an ongoing basis, when he changes you from being tossed in to and fro by the waves to being one who is planted by water. It allows us to look one another in the face in this church and say, Stand with me. No matter what life throws our way, stand with me. Stand on the word with me. Stand for truth with me. Stand on this family with me. Stand your ground with me and help me do the same. Amen? Amen. Amen. How many of you are, are, are willing to let the Lord make you resilient in this next season? Amen? Okay. I love you, so I have to warn you. <laughs> he, he saw that. Amen. He saw that and was like, let's go. Amen. It's coming, but God gives great fruit on the other side. Amen? All right, y'all. Help me, help me thank God uh, 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 for all that he's doing here in this house. Let's just give him a hand clap of praise. I just, I just feel like he's worthy to be celebrated. I'm just so grateful to be, be with you and, and to see your faces and to see such growth. It just makes me excited. And um, We love to be on vacation, but I kind of like being home too. 
Amen. Hey, uh, as Chanel mentioned, everything that we do is, is in the app. It's just the easiest way for us to stay connected. And so if you don't have the app, you should see that on your screen right there. Easiest way to get our app is to text the word beacon to the number 97,000. It'll give you a link and you do it right there. In the app, you can submit prayer requests. You can listen to our sermons. Uh, you can give, you can join a small group and you can register for events like the Stoke and Ignite event on the 24th and the Hearthstone Women's event. So I want to encourage you if you're not already plugged in to do that. And then, um, and then one of the things that you can do, as I said, is, is to give. And so I just want to share with you one encouraging word around our time of offering. But let's thank God for the opportunity to be generous. Would you help me with that? Um, I don't, usually I read some scripture for you, but I'm just going to share with something uh, from, from my heart today. I want you to know we're, we're a small church. Amen. One of the reasons that many of you like it here is because it feels like family. Uh, it's one of the reasons I like it, actually, is it feels like family. And on Easter, when we had two services, <laughs> I was like, who are all of these people? Um, but it's, it's a joy to be a small church. God does really beautiful, intimate work amongst us when we're close and intimate like this. Uh, we're also, if you look around, we're a pretty diverse church. Uh, and we're a working class church, actually. We in this room are, are hardworking folks. We got people in construction and security. We got people in trash, we got teachers. We got, we got people in police and fire. We got people that work on roofs and people that work in the sewers. Amen. I don't know if you know that, but we make the world go round, amen. And, uh, and because we're a small church, this preacher is also a working class preacher. Come on somebody, amen. Uh, and what that means is, you know, we don't raise a ton of money. We meet our budget every month, barely, amen. And we're believing God for a miracle. I'm believing that God is going to give us a permanent home. Uh, where we're at is, is cool, but I think we're ready to transition. Amen. I think we're growing with a lot of young families. And for young families, you know, our kids' ministry is interesting, for lack of a better term. And some, I don't know if you know this, but that behind that fake wall is the whole kids' ministry. And there are no jungle gyms. That is just the balcony of an amphitheater with the dedicated team. And, um, and, and that's, that's okay for some. But as we're continuing to grow, I'm finding that many families and many of the people who are calling this place home are, are ready for more. And it's my job to seek the face of the Lord and, and to go after that. But I want to tell you that while our God is more than able to provide for our church... I also know a God who is interested in participating in the journey with us. Amen. We never want to be the kind of church that's like, God, fix it. We want to be the kind of church that says, God, we're believing and we're leaning and we're stretching and we're going to do our part and we want you to do your part. I've always believed in this. We pray like it all depends on God and we work like it all depends on us. And so I want to just share that with you today as a challenge to you in your finances and in your giving. The Bible is clear. It teaches us to be good stewards of our money through our generous giving to the body of Christ, to the church. And if you've never given, I want to tell you, we need you to give. This is your church home. We need it. We need it to go to the next level. And because I'm your pastor and I love you, I want to tell you, you need it. You need to live in obedience in your finances. You need to show the Lord that you trust him in all things. Amen? I believe one of the ways God's making us resilient and growing us in this year of maturity is stretching us to do the things we're uncomfortable with. And I believe that when he gets us in that place, 
he will open the door for us for our next place. Amen? If you're giving today, there's to be several ways you can give online via the, the app or even via text. And then there's an offering bucket. It's a clear box on a stand right in front of the Bible bar. If you're giving by check or by cash, you can drop it in there. Everything that you give helps to continue us doing the ministry, meeting our budget. And I'm believing that God's going to open the door for us to do more. Amen? Amen. Would y'all pray with me real quick? I want to pray over our giving and believe God that he'll multiply what we give. Heavenly Father, we love you. God, I know that you see us. You see when we give a lot, you see when we give a little. God, I ask that you'd see our heart and that you'd do what you do. We sow seed and you bring forth the harvest. Now, God, open our hearts to be seed sowers. And God, be a, a good steward. Multiply what we give far beyond what we could do on our own. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Something's coming, amen. I believe it. Plus, I'm also on LoopNet, which is a commercial real estate website every day. And I'm like, we should get this building. We should get that building. And I'm, I don't, do you, does anybody else just dream like that all the time? You're like, I don't have the money for this. But when I do, amen. Amen. Do you have your Bible? Say yeah. Open your Bibles up to the book of Galatians. Paul's letter to the churches in Galatea. We're continuing what was originally scheduled to be a 16-week series. We're in week, who knows. But today we pick up and we're going to start chapter 4, which means we're officially halfway through the series. All righty. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Galatians 4, 1 through 7. We're in the ESV today. And it reads like this. Now, I mean the heir. As long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman and born under law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has spirit, sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Amen. The title of our message today is Slaves and Sons. And we're going to talk today about the difference between who you are before Jesus and who you are in Jesus. And I'm going to use some tough language today. And primarily what we're going to talk about is your relationship to sin. And I've got good news for you. It will change today. Here's the big idea if you're taking notes, if you have your workbook for small groups. The big idea is this. Today, you can have power over sin forever. Did you know that? I don't know if you know that, but here's what I want you to know. If you take anything away today, it's this. For those who are in Christ Jesus, we have the victory over sin. It means that when it's up to the fight between us and sin, we have the victory. Amen. Let, let me pray for you and then we'll dive right in. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for this word. I ask that you'd remove every spirit that's unlike you. Holy Spirit, you have your way in this place. Arrest us and change us and use me however you want. I surrender. Amen. Amen. 
Have you ever been stuck? No, this is, we're off target already. Um, have you ever been stuck? Like, you ever been stuck in a relationship? If you're in it, don't look, just look at me. You ever been, you've been in a situationship or a situation, a circumstance, or you can't change it? Maybe it is a relationship. Maybe you're with somebody and, and you've, you, you, you knew, because this is usually how it works. You started dating and you knew right away, this is not it, but you didn't make a change early. And so here you are six months, nine months, a year down the road, and you're still there. And now it's like, well, it's too late. We can't break up now. You ever been there? It's like when you meet somebody at a party and they say their name and then you don't remember it then, but you've been hanging out all night and you're like, well, I can't ask now. So I've just been calling him Guy all night. Hey, Guy. It's, you're stuck. You've found yourself in a predicament through what is typically you ignoring a few of God's signs along the road, and you've, you, you've sort of jumped over them until you found yourself in a situation where you can't get out. Maybe it's a job. Maybe you, you took a job because you needed a job, and now you're in the job, and the job has you in such a fashion that it pays just enough, and the benefits are just nice enough, and you're just enough miserable that you can't leave. Or maybe, more practically, it's, it's the way in which you live. Maybe you're stuck with a way of thinking about yourself that you just can't break. Maybe every time you look at yourself in the mirror, you're mad at yourself, disgusted, frustrated, worried, confused. Maybe it's a whole series of thought processes. Maybe every time someone says something to you, your first response is offense. You ever get offended quickly and then people are like, whoa, we're just asking you for directions, right? <laughs> Or maybe, maybe you're bitter. Maybe you're frustrated with people all the time and everything that you see is always about slight and always about betrayal and always about the ways in which people have done you wrong. Maybe like this generation is really struggling with, maybe what you're stuck in is you. Maybe the things that you can't stop thinking about is you. Everything is revolving around you. All of your relational conversations and all of the circumstances is how it applies to you. Maybe you're stuck in a pattern or in a situation that you can't get out of. Anybody, am I talking to anybody? You just, you're like, I can't, I can't, I can't. I want to be the one to tell you face to face, you can. This morning, I woke up and I just had the funniest thought. Yesterday, a friend of mine from high school, his parents had sold their home and, um, and they, they gave them a box as parents are apt to do once they move out. Here's all your crap, please. They gave him a box full of photos. And so he took photos of these photos and sent them out to this broad group of friends of mine from the high school. And I got to see myself at 17. And I don't know what your relationship was in your high school years to a bottle of bleach, but I was obsessed, obsessed. My hair was white, it was weird. Anyway, I woke up this morning with a thought about whether or not me now would have inspired me then. Like if, if, if old bleach blonde me got to see me, what would he say? 
And I'm going to be honest with you. There's parts of me I'm like, man, he'd be so excited. And then there's other parts he'd be like, we never grew past 5'9". That was it. We ended. That was, right? That's it? You still have a five head? That's weird. I thought it would have. There's parts of me that I don't think that past me would have been impressed with. But, but, but yeah. I think by God's great grace, where he's got me now, might have been surprising to old me. And maybe if you think about you in that situation now, you might, you might say, you, you know, maybe, maybe I would, I would be able to inspire my old self. But, but the, the truth is, is that some of us, if we're being really honest with the circumstances of our life right now, we'd be like, nah, man, old me would be a little bit disappointed, right? That, we do that, that. And it had me thinking about the beauty of the life that we live and just how much life is left to live. One of the curses that the enemy puts on us when we think we're stuck is that he tells us we're at the end. He says, you're in this and you can't get out of this, so you might as well just deal with this until the end. And I came today to tell you that this is not the end. I don't care where you are or how stuck you feel, today is not the end. If you have breath in your lungs, do this with me. Breathe in deep. Good news, you got time to change today, amen? You got time to make the new day, the next day, a better day so that the old days will look at you and be like, well, hot dog, look at us. You don't have to stay stuck. And I want to break the curse off your life that says this is as good as it's ever going to get. No, it's not. It gets better. Well, it gets better for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the world, it doesn't get better. For those who are far from God, Today is all we have. But that's the beauty of our relationship with Jesus. It's this promise. Amen? Promise that what's to come is greater than what we have. And so I, I, I just, I set that all up, and I'm sorry if you don't mind, we just set the stage for you because I want you to understand the lens through which the Apostle Paul is writing to the churches in Galatea. He's writing to them to say, there is more, so much more in Christ Jesus. And we weren't meant to be stuck in sin, weren't meant to be stuck in pattern, weren't meant to be stuck in ritual. We were meant to be free and ever changing by the power of the gospel. And so here's what he says. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, right before we left, I was talking about God, the relationship that he has with us and his law, the law that he gave to his people. We talked about the model of the law opposed to the model of grace. And we talked about how, in fact, the law was God's work of grace through the Old Testament and his work with the people in antiquity to help them find a way home. And in many ways, it acted as a guardian. Do y'all remember this? We were talking about this term guardian. It actually meant it was a reflection of a Greek tutor or a schoolmaster, one who was assigned to a family who was not a part of the family, who would steward the life of the children until such time as they were mature enough to walk into a relationship with their family and inherit what their family had for them. And so, so Paul's talking about right there, right that. 
And he's trying to say, remember how we talked about the law as, as a temporary guardian and how it was used by God to open the door for the people of this world born into sin to become unstuck from that which the enemy has assigned against you. Verses one through three, he says, I, I mean this, the heir, like the heir of a fortune. As long as he's still young, it's like he's in temporary guardianship. Okay? He says, he, as long as the heir is still a child, well, he's technically no different than a slave because he's still under rulership. And so while the difference between just a slave and an heir is one has no future and one has a future, the way in which they relate to those in authority over them is still the same. And so Paul says you have to understand while the law was sent as a temporary guardian to help God's people find their way, it was not an open door to what God had for them in the fullness of a relationship with them. Y'all tracking with me? I'm teaching for just a second. And he says, so as long as he's a child in all practice, sense, he's still a slave. Even though he owns everything, he has not yet taken possession of anything. He's under guardians and managers until a later date. He says, verse 3, it's the same way that you and I were slaves to the elementary principles of the world. Here's what I need you to understand in your relationship to sin today. I don't want you to miss this, okay? Before Jesus became the Lord of your life, before the Holy Spirit took residence in your spirit, made his dwelling place inside of you, and made you a living sanctuary, when you were in the world, as we say, you were a sinner by nature. Some of you were like, I wasn't so bad. And others of you are like, yes, indeed. That's why Paul says, of the sinners, I was the worst. By our nature, devoid of a relationship with Jesus Christ, we are born into sin because of the fall of man and the curse of Adam. And by our nature as humanity, we are all sinners, all wicked, all evil. There is not one good, the Bible says, no, not one. Every one of us, left to our own devices, is by our DNA bad. And this is important to know because one of the most pervasive heresies in the world today is that most people are generally good. You've heard this. People say, I don't go to church. I'm not like a Jesus freak, but I'm basically a good person. And that is not what the Bible says. Amen? You have to know this because people who think they're a good person are in deep trouble. When Paul writes about his relationship to sin, the same Paul who writes this letter to the churches in Galatea, the same Paul who crafts the very doctrine by which we practice our religion, our faith with Jesus, he says, he says, he says, oh, wretched man that I am. When he thinks about who he was prior to Jesus, He's fearful and disgusted. And the reason 
is because he recognizes that devoid of a relationship with Jesus, because we're born into sin, we are by our natures powerless over sin. I want you to think about some times in your life, pre-Jesus, where you just did sinful things. Amen? I love those knowing laughs. Those are my favorite. <laughs> Tuesday. <laughs> you remember, you think about, think about old you, think about pre-Jesus you, or if you haven't yet met my king, I want you to think about you right now. And the way in which you struggle with the things you know you're not supposed to do, but you can't stop doing. Did you have one of those? Do you have one of those? Where like you swore, you vowed, you pledged to family, friend, coworker, colleague, and even to self that it would never happen again. And then you woke up one day and it had happened again. It was as if it had happened to you. Because devoid of a relationship with Jesus, you possess no power in relationship to sin. Jesus, he says it clearly. It's in John chapter 8, verse 34. Let me, I just want to read it for you real quick because I, I want you to trust the word. John 8. It's 34, 34. John 8 and 34. Jesus answered them and he said, truly, truly, I say to you, Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Jesus himself is saying, if you find yourself habitually struggling with a sin and you and I are not in covenant relationship, you've not made me Lord, that sin is your master, your overseer, your God, and your ruler. And I have to teach this because so many of us think that we can make God optional and fight our fights on our own. But once you understand that A, God is not optional, and B, you have no power when it comes to sin, hopefully it softens your heart to say, I need Jesus. And we don't just say it because it's like, oh, I need Jesus. No, I mean like I'm desperate for Jesus so that I can walk through this life and have a relationship with sin that brings power back to me. Amen? Now, what Paul is writing is he's saying, now here's the deal. Devoid of a relationship with Jesus, you are a slave to sin. And so God sent the law as an act of grace. And it made a way so that those who were in sin could be released from the turmoil and the turbulence of that kind of abusive relationship where they possessed no power. And it brought them into a place of temporary guardianship. You remember, we talked about the law kind of acting as foster care. It wasn't home, but it was better than hell. The law was not bad, but the law was not God. In fact, God sent the law as if to say, hold on, we got to do some triage. Some of you have no idea what the rules by which you're playing are. And so he sends this and Paul says, now here's the deal. It's better than suffering with sin every day, but it's still not the same as freedom. And what he's trying to teach to you and I and to the church is this, religion is still not going to set you free. Just practicing the rules and going through the motions and doing whatever you have to do still does not change who you are. He's saying this, the law made us children, but we had not yet become sons. 
We had not yet become daughters. We had not yet been adopted. And he's saying in, in the same way as we had a relationship with sin like slavery, if our relationship is just with the law, then it's nearly the same. He says in both instances, our position in the relationship is one of subservience and submission and surrender. In a relationship with sin, that submission includes no reward, no promise, and no change. And with the law, it's submission with no change and no reward and no glory. The reason Paul teaches this is because it is our human tendency to recognize that we do bad and run to do good. And he says, if, you're, if your focus is on what you do, then you remain the same. You're just reliant on results outside of yourself to tell you whether or not you're worth loving, saving, caring for. Are y'all with me? It's dangerous territory for any believer to begin to think about what we need to do. Now, that's not to say that religion is devoid of doing, amen? I'm not telling you that you can do nothing as a part of your relationship with Jesus. <laughs> I'm a church planner, please don't hear that. We got to do. But the difference is that the, the doing doesn't lead to the being. The being produces the doing. And this is why he changes the conversation. He says in verse 4, he says this. Now, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Now, born of a woman and born under the law, but he sent him to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive that adoption. And this is total and complete adoption. And here's what you need to understand about this instance right now is that God has always recognized that we as people are prone to the doing, prone to the checklist, prone to finding out what's the bare minimum that I need to do to get in. Amen. And he's like, that's never been what it's about. It's never been about the destination. It's been about the journey. It's never been about the rival. It's been about the relationship. Amen. And he says, Paul says, so here's the deal. God, knowing this was always a part of human history, found the perfect time to send Jesus to change everything. Have you ever asked yourself why Jesus came when he came? Have you ever you ever just been like, could he not have come during the pandemic? That would have been helpful. <laughs> or why didn't he come? Why didn't he come right away? Like when Adam sinned, why, God was like, oh, they're messing it up already. Get in there. Why did he come when he came? You ever wonder that? Here's the beauty. Paul's writing near the time when Jesus had a, 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 arrived. Yes. He's writing right around that time. And then we're given 2,000 years of perspective to look back and see what he's really saying, which is this. God picked the time for Jesus' arrival, and that time was perfectly suited. Now, here's what scholars believe. Jesus arrived at the, the crux of a monumental shift in the way in which the world related to itself. You see, when Jesus arrived, the, 
the ancient Near East and the enlightened European were converging with a global empire led by Rome, whose tentacles of influence had begun to expand far beyond just the ancient Near East, just the Mediterranean, was going as far north as Britannia, all the way down through the body of Africa, out into the Horn, and even leading into the invasion of the Persian empires. It was a moment in which one influential culture had begun to dominate the world economy, thinking, teaching, and commerce. And it was in that moment, in this community, that God saw fit to send Jesus. Why? Because he knew, God knew in his sovereignty, that if Jesus landed there, it was the perfect time by which the gospel of Jesus could spread to every corner of the world. That's why Jesus hit. Jesus didn't hit a thousand years earlier because it wouldn't have worked. And he didn't hit now because we would have, what would we have done? Amen. He picked that moment in the fullness of time for Jesus to arrive because it was perfect for us. And he says, and it was Jesus. Son of God, holy, righteous, perfect, born of a woman and born under law, born into sin and iniquity, born in human, born in flesh. And he sends one man with both designs. What is this character that does this? Dragon Ball Z? Uh, yeah. It was such a holy moment, we got distracted by anime. What? Sorry. He takes a God who is both God. He takes a son who is both human. He makes him fully both God, both human, and he interjects him into this moment in history perfectly suited so that all the world would be redeemed should they choose to receive him. That's why, that is why today we preach the gospel. Because he arrived that day. One day earlier, one day later, we'd be lost. And he says this, he's born of a woman, born into sin, born just like you. Born into the curse of Adam and the fallen world. Born with flesh that could feel and sense temptation. But he was born still as the son of God. Fully Christ, fully God, full deity, full power over all of the world. It was as if he was born into a cursed situation and yet the curse did not have him. It was as if he was born into failure and yet there was nothing but success in him. It was as if he was born into all of your troubles, your circumstances, your situations, your problems. He was born into your dis-ease, your addiction, your brokenness, your faith, your unfaithfulness, your pain, your fear, your worry. He was born into it. He was placed into it right next to it, just the same way that you feel he felt. He knows what it's like to be you. And yet still through it all, he remained God. Perfect. And that's the best part about my Jesus is because there's nothing I've been through and he doesn't know how to handle. He's 
felt what it's like to be abandoned. He's felt what it's like to be addicted. He's felt what it's like to just say, I'm done. I want out of this. I'm dying. Take me. He knows what it's like to say, why have you forsaken me? Because he was born above a woman. He was born under law. And yet because he's still God, he says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. That's what's so good about Jesus. Because there's nothing you've been through that he's like, well, that's new. Every tear you've cried, he dries because he shed the same tear. Every fear you possessed, he comforts because he's felt the same fear. Every worry, every concern, and every time the enemy has tempted you with beauty and grandeur of a temporal nature that would distract you from the beauty and grandeur of eternal nature, Jesus says, I know exactly what it's like to resist. And so God sent him into our temporary guardianship. It was as if we were fosters, foster children. It's as if the law had placed you and I all into a group home, had rescued us from the chaos of an abusive and deadly environment, and had temporarily rescued us just to a place to keep us safe enough that we did not succumb to that death or that curse. And it was as if in that group home, into that temporary custody, in that foster care situation that was like home, was better than hell, but wasn't yet home. It's like as if in that environment, our brother, our blood brother, the one we had not yet met, but who knew our father and knew our mother, walked right into the room and said, guess what? We're going home today. That's what it's like. That's what Jesus is. When he walks into the world, he walks into your trouble and into your circumstances. And he says, are you worried? Are you scared? I know the way home. In fact, he says, I'm the way home. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. He says, put your hand in my hand and I'll see the scar. Touch my side and feel where blood and water came out. I went through this like you went through that so that you would never have to go through that again. Are you ready to go home? That's Jesus. Does that do anything for you? Does that, that change the picture a little bit for you? He's not seated at the right hand of the Father frustrated. Amen? Break that off your life. There's not a picture of Jesus being like, I don't know. I keep, I want them to be good. I like them, but I don't, I don't know. I can't co-sign on that. It's weird too, I know. It's weird, weird. No, that's not Jesus. That's not Jesus. Jesus is an ever-present help in time of trouble. He's closer than a brother. He's present and he's intimate and he knows you. He loves you. He's ready for you to come home. Last part, and then we can, we'll worship. I want you to understand this last thing. The Bible says that he he comes to redeem those who are under the law and give us adoption as sons. Now, last part, verse 6 and 7. He says, because you are sons... 
because now you've been invited to come home. It says God then sends the spirit of his son. That's, that's the Holy Spirit. He says, once Jesus says, I'm the way, are you ready? And you reach. Oh, I wish you could see it because it's so beautiful. It's not that Jesus says, are you ready? I'm going to make it hard. Keep coming. Come on. Jesus says, are you ready? And the moment you reach, you touch, the Bible says that God breathes the breath of the Holy Spirit into you. It's not a waiting game. He's not waiting to see if you're worth it. He's not saying, let's see if we can give them three steps. He says, did they reach? And Jesus says, they touched. And he says, here's the Holy Spirit. The Bible says the Holy Spirit resides in your heart. It says, God sends the spirit of his son to live in you, to cry, Abba, Father. You've heard this Word translated, daddy, papa. In most cultures, we understand that the phrase Abba is meant to include all of the connotation of the way in which a child first says dad. And you, you know that dad always comes first. How many of you mothers know? Wait, hold on. How many of you mothers know you're trying to teach your, say mama, and the baby goes, dada. <laughs> Amen. How many mothers are frustrated? You all ready for this? We were made that way. God the Father made it so that we are meant to cry, Abba, Father. And so when you say yes to Jesus, he breathes the spirit into you so that you utter those first words, dada. I, want, I just hope that encourages for a second because if you're a new mom and you have a baby and the baby says dada, you can be like, my God is good. He makes us to call him by name. He creates us both in the natural and the supernatural to yearn for him, to reach for him, to call for him. And you'd be like, and he'll say mama sometimes. Some babies say no and a bunch of other words, and then mama comes. I'm sorry for that. I don't know anything about that. The Bible says he breathes the spirit of God into us that makes us to call him by name, to reach for him, to yearn for him. And in doing so, he is breathing the very DNA of God back into you. You need to understand this. When I tell you over and over again as I'm preaching and teaching that we understand correctly that the Holy Spirit lives inside of the hearts of believers, it's not a tangible, not an intangible it or thing. The Holy Spirit is a person who lives in you. The reason that the Holy Spirit lives in you is to change who you are. He chooses to live in you to change your DNA. So you're not just in temporary custody. You come home and as you walk through the door, your skin and cells and being change. You are no longer of the world. You are of your king. You are made in the image of God and restored back to right relationship with him. And if you have his DNA, guess what? You have his power. Here's why Paul writes, if the heir is still a child, he has no power. So God sends Jesus and breathes the Holy Spirit so that the children grow up 
to become sons and daughters. This part of the text, when Paul writes in the Greek, the word son is meant to be an adult son, one who the father would consider, whoo, my God, to be a peer. It would be a son whom he says, I am well pleased. And an adult son is not eagerly waiting for handouts from the father. No, an adult son has power like the father, glory like the father, wisdom like the father, resilience like the father. He's worthy of glory and honor like the father. And he has power like the father over all of the things in which the world has no power, like sin, like sin and shame and temptation and fear and worry. Here's what you need to understand today. For those who say yes to Jesus, we receive power. And so you've been saying this phrase all your life. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Ready? No, you're not. You, you can never say that again. Have you said it? Don't worry, I've said it. But now it changes. You're not a sinner saved by grace. In fact, if you're saved by grace, you're no longer a sinner. That's your, not your identity. That's not who you are. That's not what you struggle with. That's not who you are. That's not who you struggle with. One more time. That's not who you are. That's not what you struggle with. If you've said yes to Jesus, you are brand new and we would call you a saint. Amen? Do I have any saints in the building this morning? Where are my saints at? Come on, somebody make some noise. All the saints make a little bit of noise this morning. Amen. Why? Because we have the victory, because we have the power, because sin and the grave no longer have a hold on us. And you might say, but wait, I still sin. Yeah, so do I. But here's the difference. Before I knew Jesus, sinning was the only thing I did. It was all I knew. I had no power. I had no say. Sin was my master. But in the fullness of time, when God sent forth his son and breathed forth his spirit, I'm made new. You're made new. Which means that now you finally have a say in the matter of sin. It doesn't mean temptation won't come, but it means for the first time in a long time, or maybe forever, you finally get to have a conversation with the temptation about the sin. How many of y'all before Jesus were tempted and then sinning? You were like, whoa, that was quick. Whoa, what a thing. But how many of you post-Jesus are still tempted? Show of hands. Love Jesus, still tempted. Amen? Amen? Oh, everybody got to have their hand up, doggone it. And then how many of you in the middle of that temptation are engaged with the dialogue with the temptation? Oh, I hope you all see it the way I see it. That is called the Holy Spirit and he's giving you power to choose. You didn't know that you could choose sin. You didn't know you could choose victory. You thought you were stuck, you ain't stuck. So temptation comes and because you have power, you get to go, nah. Not today. Amen. Give me, give me two minutes. Give me two minutes. And you say, you don't, you don't know what I deal with. I was, the things you call sin, 
that just, that's who I am. The things that your Bible says are sinful. I was born this way. I was made like this. I can't, you, you want me to just choose not to, how can I choose to be something other than what I am? Have you ever heard that? I was born this way. And oftentimes Christians have gotten that conversation wrong by saying, no, baby, you weren't born that way. You ready? Yes, you were born that way. Somebody says, I, I was born this way. I was, I was born evil. I was born mean. I was born gay. I was born trouble. I was born broken. And I say, you're absolutely right. We were all born in sin, every one of us. I, I'm an addict. I was born an addict. My father was an addict. My grandfather was an addict. I did some research. Turns out his grandfather was an addict. I was born this way. I was cursed. I was meant to struggle. I was meant to die in addiction. But then Jesus said, ye must be born again. That's why he says it. He says, everybody's born in sin. You're born in sin. You're born broken. You're born to die. And Jesus said, so I died that you might live and be born again. That's the gospel. That's the truth. You were born broken. You were born to die with no power no hope and because God loves you because he's rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved you he said I'll, I'll take the death necessary I'll take the pain that comes with it I'll even take the shame that you might be born again would you stand to your feet all over the building this morning? We're going to worship, but I want to pray something real special. Just one moment. You're here. And you said, I have never, never thought that was true. I never thought I could have power. I never thought I could beat this. I never thought there was a way out. I thought I was stuck. I thought I was trapped. I thought I was cursed. I thought I was meant to die. And I want, out, I want out today. That's you. You want out of addiction. You want out of disease. You want out of the curse of negative thinking. You want out of the bitterness or the thought processes that have kept you bound and locked. You want out of the trap of sin in your life. That's you today. That freedom is available in this room right now. Now, I'm not going to pray a special prayer. But if you're in this place and you want out, it works like this. You declare with your mouth and confess that Jesus is Lord. So right where you are, nobody's paying attention to you. They're all thinking about their own things. No matter what words you use, I want you to declare to him that you want him to take control, take power, take Lord. You might say something like this, Jesus, I'm trapped. I'm stuck. And I can't get out. But I know God sent you. And you took it all from me. I declare you as Savior. I declare you as Lord. And I want to be made new. I cry, Abba, Father, Abba, Father, Abba, Father, Abba, Father. I cry, Abba, Father. I cry, Abba, Father. I surrender, Father. I cry, Abba, Father. I cry, Abba, Father. I cry, Abba.
save me, Lord. Yeah, mama. Now, for those of us, Lord, who have prayed this prayer today and declared, called upon your name, I know that you're faithful, faithful, faithful. Would you run over us like a flood and fill our hearts and our life? Give us your spirit and give us your power. In Jesus' name. And all that agreed said amen and amen. Let's worship y'all. Thanks for joining Be The Light Podcast with lead pastor C.B. Barthlow. Visit our website at denverbeacon.org. To download our Beacon app, text Beacon to 97000. Once again, text Beacon to 97000. Whatever you do, please remember to be the light. Let's go! Let's go!